Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by one of our favorite products, Almond Cow. We've been using it for well over a year, and I say we, mostly my husband, Mark, who is mooing. Honey, what are your thoughts about Almond Cow? <laughs> this is the moo man. He's back. <laughs> I love the Almond Cow because we know how great it is. Anything that you can make a plant-based milk with, you're set. I don't need to make that much. It's just sitting in the pantry. And then when we're ready, I just make it. It takes a minute. It tastes so good. It tastes so good. And for those of you who are thinking about it, let me tell you why. There are no added preservatives, any kind of artificial stuff. You put in it what you want. You can sweeten it to your taste. It is so easy to make, so easy to clean up. And it's pure gold. It really is. And they give you a lot of recipes on the Almond Cow website. You have the recipe, so you don't have to think, you don't have to go anywhere to find it. It's there for you. Yes, we love it so much. So if you're interested in getting your own, go check out the link or just go to their site, almondcal.co, and you can use code Lara, L-A-R-A, for extra savings. Go get yourself one and have fun. I'm Laura Hyman, and welcome to Redefining Movement, a lit podcast designed to investigate all aspects of movement from my background in physical therapy and neuroscience. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter movement patterns and compassion for ourselves and others. So together we can live our most uplifted lives, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I had an amazing chance to talk with Jill Coleman, who is just a genius at branding, at fitness. She is from jillfit.com, but you might see her on Instagram at jillfit as well. We talked about so many things, her common journey that I also experienced and how she has turned this into a huge business and become a digital business expert. So if you're listening, if you're any kind of movement professional who wants to get more business tips, please listen. But it's also such a great conversation about really owning your core values, shifting from spending so much time thinking and worrying about your body image to really loving yourself and so much more. It was just a pleasure to talk to Jill. So please enjoy our podcast. Welcome, Jill. I am thrilled to have you on. I always love talking to other movement professionals, especially those who've really carved a specific niche and have done such an excellent job that they can share with others. So thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So let's just start. Where did you begin? How did you get into fitness? P.S. I read on your website that you are a secret lover of step. And I immediately was like, this is like a sister from another mister because I taught step aerobics. And I was just saying to one of my teachers the other day, I really want to bring it back in somehow. It needs to make a resurgence. I really do miss it. I think it will. So tell us about your path into fitness. 
Yeah. So I was really one of those lucky people who just fell in love with fitness at an early age. And so playing sports in high school, I was a rower in college. I started teaching step aerobics when I was 16. My very first job was at a gym and I was like, I'll get a free membership. And so I started just going to all the classes, fell in love with them, started personal training when I was 18 in college, used that to like make money through college, got my degree in exercise science, ended up after college getting a full-time job working, running the fitness facilities at my alma mater, which is Wake Forest University. And I was there for like about a decade. Now, one of the things that happened with me was as someone who loves fitness, and I'm sure you can relate to this, you get to the point, especially in your early 20s, where you want to push your body. I was doing a lot of triathlons at the time, half marathons, things like that. And I was curious about doing a figure competition, which is like bodybuilding, but you also wear heels and you wear a suit and there's this feminine aspect to it. And I was like, maybe I could just get really lean and get the best shape of my life. And I did my first competition at 24, ended up winning my show and was just like addicted to this extreme fitness for about six years. At the time in my 20s, I didn't have any responsibilities. I was working in fitness. It made a lot of sense. However, I ended up starting to just get really obsessed with my body, really obsessed with food, really obsessed with exercise to the point where I was doing like two to three hours of cardio a day. I was cutting carbs. My hair was thinning, like all of this kind of stuff. And luckily, it took starting JillFit as an online business when I was 29 to sort of yank me out of that. It was a wake-up call to me that like, if I wanted to be successful in my career and really spend the time and mental energy on my business, I had to figure out the body stuff. I had to really figure out how to make this thing sustainable. I know we like hate those words like consistent and sustainable and balance and moderation, but that's really what it ended up being for me. So over the course of about three years, I started teaching myself moderation and mindfulness and pulling back on my exercise and really focusing more on weight training. It took me about three full years to like completely shed that food obsession, exercise obsession, body obsession, and all of the things I was really scared about. Oh, I'm going to gain a bunch of weight or I'm just going to go off the rails. Like all of these things that we catastrophize in our heads didn't end up happening. We ended up at JillFit starting the online portion of the business in 2010. And I started as a blogger. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about business today and a little about branding. I didn't know anything about business. I was an exercise and nutrition person. I got my master's degree in nutrition. At that point, I was like, let's see if I can just help people outside of my local area. And over the course of two years, I blogged every single day for two years. And this is back in the sort of golden age of blogging when people are reading long-form content. We started growing a pretty loyal readership within a couple of years. And I started just doing one-on-one fat loss coaching for people all over the world. Then people started asking me, like, how are you doing what you're doing? I know enough to help people do at least what I've done. So I started teaching the blogging model and things like that. And that was in 2012. Fast forward 11 years, I've been doing mostly at this point business coaching for health and fitness professionals. So it's been a wild ride. And I feel like I've done everything there is to do within the fitness industry. So I'm actually like a meathead at heart. So we still do have fitness and nutrition programs at JillFit. I just don't think I could ever give it up. But for the majority of what we do is the business side of things. First of all, let's just talk about the body stuff, because I do think this is very typical, especially in that 20 to 30 year old. And I wonder how much of it you have to go through it personally to know that it's not a sustainable way of living. It takes so much energy. It's exhausting to always be thinking about the way you're projecting yourself in the world. So what would you say to those 20 to 30 year olds? You sort of don't know until you go through it especially as a woman in our society, I think you just think you need to be dieting. I don't know that I ever questioned that narrative. 
I just always was like, I need to lose five pounds. I need to lose 10 pounds. Talk to my mom. She says the same thing. I talked to my other female relatives. They're always saying the same thing. So you just grow up with this idea that you should be trying to lose weight all the time. And for someone like me who was really into sports and athletics, I, at that point, hadn't really paid attention at all to my eating. When I did my first competition, that was the very first time. And I love the idea, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, of like how I eat influences how I look. And it gave me this locus of control. There's this whole side of things I haven't even been paying attention to that now I can really look the way I want. And I think the biggest struggle, especially in those early 20s and maybe mid-20s years, is that if someone had said to me at that time, Jill, you know, you just need to focus on consistency and balance and sustainability and like you want to live long, that wouldn't have resonated with me at that age. You know, for me, it was very much like if I can go further, I'm going to go further. If I can get leaner, I'm going to get leaner. If I could do more exercise, I'm going to do more exercise. To your point, now in my 40s, I'm just like, it's so low on the totem pole. You know what I mean? It's so low in terms of what I find important in my life. But I do believe to your point, you do have to go through all of that to get to the point where you have the realization. And you can't hear from anyone else. I think you do have to have the full experience. And people come to me to this day and say, I know your story, but I've always had this bucket list item. I just want to do a figure competition. And I always tell them the same thing. You should do it, but just be aware of the risks. No one was talking about this stuff back in 2006 when I did my first show. Now we have a lot more awareness around diet flexibility, metabolic flexibility, rebounding. Like No one was talking about that back in those days. So I am grateful that a lot of people can do some of this more extreme fitness more safely and more responsibly than certainly I was. Well, and I think you mentioned something that is true for so many of us, which is this need for control. Here's something we can control, the way we look, what we put in our body, how much output we do. And I think if we can take that need that we all implicitly have and direct it somewhere else, directing it like the way you did into this business world, into creating your brand, I do think there is a control aspect. You delineate what you need. You have to perform. It's not going to ever just happen. That's the discipline of a brand. How much do you think when you redirected it to that really helped your growth? Oh, for sure. Like you mentioned, everyone has this innate desire to be in control of something in their life. I think the hardest part for me was really discerning what was mine to control and what wasn't. So for example, in business, there's a lot that we can control. There's a lot in terms of how we show up, the actions that we take, the attitude we show up with, the way in which we interact with things when they do go sideways in the business. Like in my experience, there's a lot that we can control on our side of the street. But at the end of the day, we're never going to be able to control when people decide to buy. So that's one of the hardest things is really figuring out. And I notice this a lot of times with newer entrepreneurs, they do feel like they should have control over how much money they're making all the time, how their launches go. You can always control everything up until the point of sale. And at that point, you can't be in someone's house pressing the buy button for them. So for me, that was more the education around like control the things that are in my control and then be able to accept and detach from the things that I can't. The more I thought about, especially the food stuff, we have an education called Moderation 365, where we do acknowledge the fact that for a lot of us, controlling what we eat means controlling how we look. And controlling how we look means controlling how we're perceived in the world, especially as a young woman, right? Like if I have the certain aesthetic or I look a certain way, I'm going to be respected, appreciated, treated kindly, whatever it is. And that stuff is real. They've actually shown that in research, right? When we think about it like that, you have this desire to control my eating all the time. But what was ironic about that was that approach to eating, I need to be in control of my eating and in my environment and my food and all that kind of stuff all the time, ended up being the thing that was crippling to me because I couldn't go to a social event. 
I couldn't go on vacation. I couldn't take a road trip because I had so much anxiety about the food environment. So if you think about it from that perspective, the ultimate control is really trust. I can trust myself to handle any situation that I find myself in. Like that's the ultimate in control. But so many of us try to put the Band-Aid on. We need to be eating our food in our kitchen and be at our gym with our treadmill and have all of these things in place when really that's the most fragile environment you could be in, right? I love that. And in that vein, like how would you define moderation when you're talking about this moderation 365? It's one word. It's satisfaction. That's it. People feel a certain way about moderation. Moderation is impossible for everybody. Some people are these all or nothing people. In my experience, especially at the beginning of their journey, that is the case. People will just say, well, Jill, you don't understand. I just can't be around French fries. I can't have that in my house. And I do believe that's more of like a level one approach. And it does work for some people. It's just get it out of the house. The only problem is, again, it comes back to the fragility of that. At some point, you're going to be out and someone's going to have fries and you're going to have to deal with it. So why not figure it out so that you're not scared of those situations or you don't have food scarcity when you're in those places? The level two point out, which is what we teach, is being able to trust yourself in all of those scenarios to be able to feel satisfied, but not stuffed. We work with a lot of people who are over-dieted. We don't work with the beginners, people who just don't even know what carbs are, what foods have protein and stuff like that. We don't really work with beginners. We actually have an assessment. If someone's too beginner, we just don't take them on because they just don't need this education. This is really like a food psychology education. It's really about unlearning a lot of the old narratives around food because you almost know too much. You learn everything and it's exciting because you're learning and you're growing and it feels like power. But then you get to the point where you realize only a few things really matter. And I think a lot of people have to get to the other side of that bell-shaped curve to realize only a few things actually matter. It's cool to have the knowledge of science and hormones and metabolism. But on the other side, there's only a few big dial movers. And so that's really the place of peace and ease and automation that we get people to. So with all your background, all your interests, how did you first figure out the path to go to? Because we know that's a problem with branding. If you're trying to get everybody, you might not get as many people. Like, How did you figure that out? So I will say that I don't really teach what I've done. I'll give you one insight. So the first couple of years at Jill Fit, the online business, we were doing fat loss, nutrition, and fitness. So we worked with a good amount of people. We had grown the readership and things like that. And so at that point, we had a good amount of people who had success with us, whether they lost weight or they got stronger or they built muscle or whatever. When I pivoted into business, it wasn't really like a hard pivot. I wasn't like, okay, now we're only talking about branding and messaging and marketing. It was more like, maybe you want to start a blog. You're a mom of young kids and you have a little bit extra time. Maybe you could start a blog and have a couple of clients. It was a very slow sort of pivot into business. What happened was the people who we had gained trust with the fitness and nutrition stuff were like, oh, maybe I could learn. You sort of break through this trust barrier and then trust translates. So this is why you see people start in fitness and nutrition and then like 10 years later, they're like a relationship coach and their audience will actually go with them. And I, this sounds so strange, but you can get someone a win with fitness and they go, well, I want to work with Jill for business. That's been the pipeline for us. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend that because it took a few years to like build up that trust to then be able to pivot. So for most people, and I will say, especially now, because the space is becoming more sophisticated, let's say that because there's more coaches are also more potential clients. So if you're coming online and you're trying to build a personal brand, it is pivotal that the more recent you've started, the faster you start to niche down. So to your point, I would never recommend someone do what I do, which is let's do a little fitness, little nutrition, little business. You have to pick one thing, put all your eggs in that basket until you break through and then you can go wherever you want. 
So basically what you're saying is for anybody who's listening, who's like, I've just become a yoga teacher, even a physical therapist who doesn't want to be in the regular clinical space, or it could be like a nutrition coach, or it could be for postpartum women or for women who want to lose weight or whatever it is, and then gain the trust of those people before you start adding other things. I'll give you an example. I work with a lot of coaches who are postpartum coaches. And for the majority of them, they've had a baby within the last five years, probably. But then 10 years later, they're like, my kids are in high school. Not only do I feel a little bit out of my integrity talking about early postpartum at this point, but like, I'm just not interested in it. That's not where I'm at in my life. And so at that point, they have to pivot the brand. But the good news is that oftentimes they've built trust with those moms and those moms are also getting older too, right? So they're ready for the next iteration of whatever this coach wants to put out. Even more so, I'll give you an example. We have a client right now in one of our programs who is postpartum for rock climbers. She's doing really well. She's doing like 10K months because she's niched down even more so. So I think from that perspective of like nutrition coach, but what's specifically about nutrition? Are you a macro coach? Are you figure competition prep? You almost have to start even more niched And then from there, you can start to get more broad. But what I see is a lot of people staying really broad and never breaking through and then waking up three, five years later and wondering and throwing in the towel, which sucks because there's a ton of opportunity. I think there's this misconception that there's no clients or it's so saturated, there's nothing left to say. One of the best things that came out of the pandemic was it showed regular people that online solutions can work for them. So a lot of people came out of the gym or the studios, they start working out at home and they don't want to go back. So we did see a huge influx of potential clients as well. So while the coaches are now growing, so are the potential clients in the pool of people. You're literally limited geographically online. It's like you could be working with somewhere and anywhere in the world. There's massive opportunity here, but for a lot of people, they do feel for some reason like it's too saturated for them. Today's podcast is sponsored by Aminoco. I've been using Aminoco products for well over a year, and I really love them. I love the taste, but most importantly, I love the science-backed health benefits. Today, I'm going to tell you about life. Life is the name of it. So life is really great for those of us over age 40. Why? Because did you know muscle and heart function start to decline after age 40? So in clinical trials, life has been shown to enhance the physical function and muscle strength while supporting normal cardiovascular health. So at age 53 and a half, I'm really concerned about maintaining my muscle density and of course my heart health. So I use this, I put one scoop in with water, but you could put it into a smoothie, you can put it into juice, and it is vegan, it is GMO-free, and it is patent-produced. It's an amazing, amazing product, and you can go to aminoco.com. That's A-M-I-N-O-C-O dot com slash lit and save 30%. I love the idea of super niching down. And in terms of trust, I'm curious, because I see this, like somebody who's actually really versed teaching postnatal, but hasn't had a child. Because then I do think we're in this together. The main thing I have is A, the willingness to get on here and share it, and B, the expertise to give you more knowledge. How important do you think that is? It's massively important. It really is. As much as I want to be like, you don't need to be in shape to be a personal trainer. Like part of me feels like you have to have something about you that says you value your health. Even if you don't have the quote unquote traditional fitness look, you could share in your Instagram stories how you're eating and how you're training. And like, you just have to be a product of your product. That's the whole idea behind it. People need to see you interacting and doing the thing that you're saying is important. It would be like going to a doctor and them eating Cheetos in front of you or something. You would just be like, this feels not congruent. 
this is actually one piece of branding. So the way that I teach branding at JillFit is there's three pieces. We call it the three M's. So the first is mastery. To your point, you need to be an expert. Number one, you need to have some kind of credential, certification, expertise. You have to have knowledge. People are paying you for solutions. As much as they like you and you're cool and they get along with you, at some point, if they're only going to hire you, if you have a solution for the problem that they're struggling with. And so for a lot of people, they come in and they think that's going to be enough. They go, well, I got my credential. Surely I'm going to be successful. That's an important piece, but that's only one piece. The other two pieces, number one is me. So M-E, essentially meaning you, the person. And this is what you're speaking to, which is what's my story? What's my own experience of this? What is my personality? What's my values? What are the ways in which I want to show up? What is what we call our knowables? Knowables are things that like have nothing to do with your expertise, but you share, oh, you have a dog and you're married or you go on date night every week or whatever. It's like these things that have nothing to do with your expertise, but that create connection and relatability. And then the third M is methodology. And this is one that sometimes we forget about is like, what's your unique philosophy when it comes to the thing you're teaching? So yes, I can be a nutrition coach and I can be a nutrition expert. But what's the specific way I do nutrition? Is it macro counting? Is it moderation, mindfulness? Is it fasting? What's the specific methodology? And that's how you're also going to set yourself apart. When we think about expertise, mastery, for the majority of people, whether it's yoga instructors or personal trainers or nutrition coaches, we all have around the same level of expertise. We're all the same. And the average consumer doesn't know the difference. So we're never going to be set apart from like being the smartest person. And that's where the piece about you showing up as you, and that's the hardest part. It's easy to sit behind your expertise. The harder part is to really feel comfortable enough to pull back the curtain and share your values and your energy and your vibe and what you think are important outside of just being an expert. So a lot of times I work with newer entrepreneurs on that kind of stuff because they're just scared. They're not sure it's okay to be themselves online. Exactly. Sometimes they think they just have to mimic somebody else that's successful. And it's like you can look at them for inspiration and see like what has worked. At the end of the day, you need to be yourself. That's what I always say because I've created a very specific method and people can go through my training and they share it. I've had people who've gone through and they share it like it's their own. Very few have done that. It's this idea of like, they're still not me. And that's the other thing is people get scared about sharing knowledge. And to me, if you have something, you should share it. You have to share it. You're not going to have success if you don't. You're going to hoard all your information. How's someone going to know that you're good? Totally. And that's where you have to trust that what you have to offer is special and unique enough that people are going to keep wanting to come back to you for that. And on that note, I think it's really important to know that not everybody is going to like what you have to offer. When people are looking at like, I put in all this energy and I'm not getting enough customers signing up for some program, like how do you help those people to recognize it takes time? Not everybody is going to sign up. The overarching theme is expectation management. I'm a marketer and I do blame marketers because they're saying things like, make your first 100,000 in 30 days. And I'm like, who's making that? At the end of the day, if you want to recession-proof your business, have an amazing brand. You'll always be able to make money. That's why I'm so passionate about it because it is the foundation, but it's also a thing that takes the longest to build. When we think about brand, another word for branding is trust building or becoming someone who's a what we call a trust agent. In order to build trust, that takes time in any relationship. So the idea that you're going to be able to come online brand new as a coach or a trainer or an instructor and be able to convince a lot of people to part with their dollars is not possible. And it's not because you're not good. It's not because you're not the best instructor in your area. It's not because you're not qualified. It's not because you're not amazing. It's just the nature of this business. We have to put in the time. So instead, I would say come in and expect that it's going to take a couple of years. 
even if you're super consistent. So we usually give people the timeline, and this is my experience with my clients, about 18 to 24 months. The time's going by anyway. But on the other side of that, you have time freedom, autonomy, flexibility, on-demand money if you want to launch. But for some reason, people hear it, they don't take it in. So then they wake up and it's been six months and they're like, this doesn't work. The sad thing about that is that it really does work, but so many people give up before they get there or they give up and they go and get a regular job for a while and then they come back and they wish they never stopped. And by the way, I don't think that anyone can do this. I think there's a certain temperament that it takes to be able to value tenacity, resiliency. You don't have to gamify your business. Sometimes you just show up, you do the thing and that's it for the day. You have to have a lot of patience and you also really just have to love this thing. You know, Shantae, she's my best friend and she's also my business partner. We talk a lot about this. I would much rather someone come in and say, I'm hoping to quit my full-time job in three years. Do you think that's possible? I'm like, yes, now we can go forth. But what happens is people come in and marketers will teach you easier, faster, less effort. That's the hook. And they expect that it's going to happen really fast. But the temperament is you have to be someone who just loves doing this and would do it for free. And that's the irony of something like this. And you know this, Laura, like, the people who would do this, whether or not they were making money, end up making the most money. And that's the irony of it. It is. When I've been asked, how have I been successful? My answer almost always is my endurance. Obviously, the love for it. Other people that have that are also doing it. But you're right. It's not for everybody. If they really need a quicker response, it might not be the thing to do because there's a risk when you start working for yourself. But if you love it, the payback is incredible. Right. And that's the thing. The irony of quote unquote risk is you haven't built that foundation of trust and you haven't built that really strong brand. Once you have built that brand, it's actually not risky at all. And I'm sure you've had this experience. You've built your audience. You have the attention. Obviously, you have a ton of goodwill that you've built with relationships. And so you could right now go and put an offer out and probably make $10,000 this week if you wanted to. So in that way, it's actually not risky. It's actually less risky than having a real job. So There is that at the beginning and not everyone's going to come out, but you have to ask yourself, how patient am I willing to be? And do I really love this stuff enough? And do I feel enough passion and meaning to do this regardless of what the outcomes are? I think so many people are waiting for an outcome to then do the work. It's the opposite. You do the work to create the outcome. I hate to use the phrase of like amateurs versus professionals, but are you familiar with The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? So he talks about this. He's basically like, professionals don't only work when they're in the mood. They sit down and you just write you do it. If you're professional, you do it every day. And so I think a lot of people are trying to have the success of a professional, but they're acting like an amateur. It's not that there's something wrong with them. It's just flipping their mindset to be like, okay, I'm here and I'm going to endure. And while I'm enduring, I'm going to learn. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to implement more. I'm going to grow, right? Like we don't just sit here and wait. We actually start progressing and getting better and having new strategy inputs and new tools and things like that too. So yes, it's a waiting game, but you got to be learning while you're waiting. Oh, absolutely. And it's fun enduring. I think some of it is the lack of expectation of when it's going to happen, just putting one foot in front of the other and continuing and being really confident, I think, in your product. When there's some moments of doubt, you're just going to be like, no, this is it. I love it. And whoever is in with me, great. Okay. So let's talk about branding for a moment. And I know, of course, we're going to promote all the stuff that you have because this is just a summary, not even all the depth of knowledge that you would give to people, but branding. In this world of safe fitness in particular, how do you brand if you're not going to just be another Fit Laura or Laura movement? Because branding, of course, is something that becomes this three-second thing. You see it and it appeals and then you go underneath and then it becomes, again, recognizable. But how important it is 
to have the brand that describes what they're going to get or to have something more kind of like, what is this brand about? So there's two things we're talking about. There's brand identity, which is what most people think of when they think of branding. So they think like colors, fonts, logo, name. And those things are fine, but so many people don't get started with their business because they're so worried about those kind of things. You can always change that stuff later. You can always change your name, your URL. In fact, you're probably going to rebrand. Every couple of years, you're like, I'm doing this a little differently. Yeah. So that stuff will always change, but that's not what brand is. Brand is a feeling. Brand is like, what's my relationship to this entity, to this person, to this coach? And so if we're talking personal brand, which is what I help people with, I'll just give your audience a really easy exercise they can take to their people. If you're using Instagram or Facebook and you can use stories, get on stories and ask your people if they had to choose one word to describe your content. Not you, because you'll probably get more like personal characteristics like strong, smart. We want to get more like the branding stuff. So what is one word that comes to mind? And they'll tell you exactly why they come to you. It will be like workouts or muscle building or nutrition tips. Because when we talk about brand, you can do all the branding work, but really it's the perception that people are having of you. You're always branding. You just might not be branding in the direction you want to be branding. Brand is really just how people feel about you and the utility that you provide to them. So they're coming to you because they know they get value. Someone follows you on Instagram because on some level they're getting value, whether that's education, whether that's entertainment, whether that is connection and relatability. We talk a lot about in branding like I help statement, which is like part of your Instagram bio, your Facebook bio. But really what I care more about is what's the one word synonymous thing that people think of when they think of you? That's really going to tell you the power of what you're bringing. And I would say if you agree with that and it's congruent with what you believe, then double down on that stuff because they'll tell you how they're seeing you. What have people said about you, the one word? Business, moderation. We used to do a lot of mindset work. We have a couple of mindset courses in like early 2011, 2012. So people would say mindset, but then they'll say things like real, honest, which is another piece of branding that I want to make sure we touch on, which is you have to show people what your energy is you got to get on video, whether it's even just on Instagram story practicing or doing an Instagram live that you delete after or something, but you have to give people a feel. That's why I love podcasting so much because like someone's listening to this right now on a walk or while they're making dinner and they're like, I understand the vibe of this person. They may not like it. They don't have to like it, but they can decide, do I like it or do I not like it? And so all of these tiny little touch points, how you animate and what your energy is and how you speak and how fast you speak even, all of these things people are picking up on and deciding, is that like me or not like me? That's a really big piece of it. And I would say adjacent to that is your values. So you're listening to this and you're probably getting like, if you've never met me, you're probably thinking, wow, Jill's no nonsense or she's an action taker or like she just done a lot or something like that. You're picking up all the time the values of that person. That's why we have a course on branding called Trust You. And the first module is all about values. You have to know your own personal values to then be able to share them online to create an environment of people who have shared values. This is how you're going to attract your perfect client because they already know what the deal is. And it's a disservice to not share those things. And it's bad for everyone when you don't because you end up getting a client who's not a good fit, right? And ends up being like they're not getting the results. They want a refund. So the big piece of it is knowing your values and then consistently showcasing them on social media. It's not even just a peek behind the curtains. It's literally showing what's behind the curtains versus just some perceived idea based on visual. I think social media, there's probably a lot of smoke and mirrors, which is why I do like stuff like this or things like lives or even live events. It's like no hiding. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure you're at this point too, Laura, with your business where 
You're just like, I have the best clients. It's an effect of being able to share so authentically. So for example, if you're listening to this and you're like, God, I do get clients every once in a while that ghost me or problem clients or don't know the vibe, it's probably how you're showing up. I think especially in this space, from a personal branding perspective, I have a very masculine energy, the way I present. For a lot of people, that can be sort of a turnoff or that's not what they want. That's not how they are, which is totally fine. But it took me probably even up till embarrassingly a few years ago to really own that. Because we see in the coaching space, it's a lot of like heart-centered and mindset and manifestation and astrology. And that's just never been me. I felt the freedom to just really double down on who I actually am. And honestly, things have gotten a lot better. I agree completely because I was always like that in yoga. I never did the yoga speak because it just didn't feel authentic at all to me. And I think there is a realness that not everybody is going to be attracted to, but it's attracting, again, the people who are craving that. Okay. So let's now tell everybody where they can find all this stuff. What are the different options for courses? I think the branding stuff, the marketing stuff is so needed, but anything else that you offer, please share. Yeah. So honestly, just the best way for anyone to connect or if you're interested in any of the things that we offer is jillfit.com. All of our offers are on there. You can always hit me up on social media at jillfit. We also have a fitness business podcast called Fit Biz You. So if this content resonates with you, we do a lot of different episodes on everything from branding to messaging to marketing to lead generation, sales, launching, stuff like that for health and wellness pros. Would love to hear from anyone who wants to chat. Amazing. You know, I think this is really essential for everybody. Like, even those of us who've been doing this a while and might have a product, a brand that is successful, it's like, I'm always learning. I know you're learning because you've got to present it. I think the other thing is really just be excited about the fact that it's ever-changing. There's some things, the thread line of what you said, your core values and what you have to offer, but the way it's presented and what is working is just going to change. And I think it's exciting. It's really exciting. And I think it can be scary for people like, oh, I just learned this TikTok. Now I got to learn Thread. So I think there is always that. But I think you're right. If you could see it with like a curious, excited mind, possibilities are endless. The idea that there's scarcity in this space, I'm just like, there's never been more abundance. But you have to really feel that and you have to be open to that possibility. Yes. This was such a treat to talk to you. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. And for everybody out there, check out Jill. And as always, I'm pulling for you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Redefining Movement. If you like what you've heard, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Feel free to leave us a rating and review or share with someone you know. Check us out at www.litmethod.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.